1: Welcome to the Dacus Report. Thank you for tuning in. I'm Brad Dacus, president of the Pacific Justice Institute. On today's show, we're going to interview our attorney out of our Illinois office just outside of Chicago uh, to talk about some real challenges that are taking place in public schools and opportunities to reach out and impact students who are still, for whatever reason, in public schools. But before we do that, I'd like to bring on our legislative counsel, someone I highly respect, Janice Laura. Uh, welcome to the show, Janice. Hi, Brad. So, Janice, you've been—you know—you're now a legislative counsel with Pacific Justice Institute. Mm-hmm. Um, you're doing a—you know—just a great job out of the gate, uh, coming on board and uh, to work with legislators. It's a new year. It's yeah. a, a new legislative uh, session, I guess, for state legislators. Oftentimes. Um, what um, you know? Many governors are already giving their annual state of the state addresses. Um, what um, what do you what do you see happening with regards to these uh, these state governors? Should we be optimistic moving forward? Uh, what say you?
2: I think we need to be very, very cautious and we need to really keep our eyes open as to what is going on. The state of the state, as you mentioned, is when the governors lay out their plans, what they want the the legislators to do for the next year. And um, the ones that we've seen so far have really been uh, rather disturbing on what the legislators, the governors want to focus on. And, um, you know, unfortunately, many of the governors are very, very focused on their intent to press the abortion issues to make their states become, you know, essentially safe havens for abortion. um, Eliminating any types of restrictions and also seeking to use taxpayer dollars, millions and millions of dollars of our money um, to use to fund abortions.
1: Wow, so abortion is a is a big issue, and a lot of these states are wanting to to, to fund abortions uh, using tax dollars to do so. That's very disturbing. New Jersey's governor, I guess, called that yeah a legislative legislature to pass this bill to a, a yeah, le- they, eliminate they insurance co charge.
2: Right, New Jersey wants to have basically free abortion on demand, uh, where you wouldn't even have to pay a co charge a copay. Um, and also to make taxpayer funding, including for even out-of-state residents.
1: So, if you are in need of having a, a cancer removed, maybe skin cancer, uh, maybe in need of a, a gallbladder surgery, a, a, a surgery critically needed to, to save your life, you will you will still have to pay your deductible pursuant to right. your insurance policy. But if you want to kill a preborn baby in New Jersey, oh, don't worry. You don't have to pay a penny. New Jersey wants to kill apparently as many preborn babies as they can. Um, you know, uh, Adolf Hitler would be proud. Uh, yeah. As far as I'm concerned, this is this is sick. This is sick. Uh, the, this lack of respect for human life—that um, is—it's blatant. It's in your face. And the fact that they're trying to get governors to fund uh, to have the, the taxpayers pay for mm-hmm. it. Uh, That's extremely concerning. You know, I know we have federal law that uh, prevents federal tax dollars from funding abortion. Mm -hmm. Uh, I think it's the Hyde Amendment. Um, But that doesn't apply to states, I guess, does it?
2: No, it doesn't. And each state is able to determine their own policy on this. And again, we've really seen in the states where they have um, no restrictions, that's not even enough for them. It has to be abortion on demand, and you don't have to pay. It's like they keep pushing and pushing and pushing to see how far they can take it.
1: Yeah, Washington State's governor wants to enshrine reproductive freedom in the Mm -hmm. Constitution this session. Yeah. Um, Arizona's governor. These are both Democrats. um, Mm -hmm. uh, You know, they're they're pro-abortion. They want to kill. Preborn babies, they want to fund the killing of preborn babies all the way up to the end of the ninth month. That's just looking at their platform. That's what they stand for. Um, I mean, I would not want to associate with that kind of a platform if I was a politician and a follower of the Lord Jesus Christ or just someone who believes in, in humanity and basic human rights. Uh, mm-hmm. But these are our governors, New Jersey, Washington State, Arizona, that this is, they're pushing this stuff. Yeah. And uh, I think people need to understand that when they vote for a candidate that is pushing for something, when they vote for them, they're empowering this person to have the mm-hmm. authority to do these hideous <laughs> things. Uh, I know Ezekiel 3.18 makes it very clear, Janice, that, uh, that if, uh, if an individual uh, is just even silent about, about speaking out against wickedness, uh, then the blood of the, uh, that's done by the person that they don't speak out against is on their hands, mm-hmm. and yet we're not talking about speaking out. We're talking about people actually voting and affirming candidates mm-hmm. that are for killing preborn babies. How do, can someone actually think, see themselves standing before God? Um, how can someone even contend to have a real faith, a real faith? and a real follower of the Lord Jesus Christ, and yet be in favor of supporting candidates that they know are going to further the, the killing and mass genocide, the Holocaust of the pre-born. I, it, just, it just baffles me. I'm, I'm, I'm sure there's, there's Christians out there who are blinded, confused, mixed up. I've seen it. But it's just baffling how anyone can be walking in the Spirit and knowingly and deliberately voting for, for this, no more than someone knowingly and willingly voting for, say, Adolf Hitler, knowing that his purpose is going to be to kill and wipe out all the Jews. I, I just have a hard time seeing, it, uh, seeing that. It just makes no sense to me. What say you?
2: Yeah, no, it is. I think there's a lot of misconceptions. I think there's a lot of miscommunication. I think there's a lot of lies that um, the Democrats and the abortion industry has pushed for years. And I think people are genu- genuinely confused about what certain things mean. And um, that's part of our role. Part of the role of Christians is to uh, spread the truth.
1: Yeah, exactly. Just to spread the truth. And, and uh, if, if there's you know, I don't care what the politician is, what party they're a part of, whether it's Republican or Democrat. Mm-hmm. Uh, people, in the end of the day, need to to be responsible, and this is a non-negotiable. I believe this is a non-negotiable. If someone who's a follower of the Lord Jesus Christ, who believes the Bible is the Word of God, and is in essence a true believer, um, this is a non-negotiable. So I just encourage people out there when they're voting this time. I don't care if it's a Republican or Democrat, folks if they are what they call pro-choice, um, that's pro-murder. Mm-hmm. And you, you cannot support that kind of candidate. Um, some Christians I've heard, Janice, they say, well, I, I can't vote for the, the other candidate, though, uh, because uh, their personality, they're too brash. Or I saw their, their, uh, their Twitters. And, um, or they said something mm-hmm. offensive 15 years ago. So I'm just not going to vote. Well, when when people don't vote, then they are voting. Mm-hmm. They're voting for the worst of the candidates that are running to do the greatest evil. That's what their silence is. I talked to a pastor who did this. Shame on him. Shame on mm-hmm. anyone and any pastor that doesn't know the biblical concept of, of, of choosing the lesser of two evils. Um, I know a classic of example of this, Janice, was when people look in the Bible where you know Pharaoh's army knocked on Moses' mom's door and says, do you have any babies? Are they babies? Mm-hmm. What did they say? They said, she said, do you say, oh yeah, it's in a little basket, uh, three reeds to the mm-hmm. right down there, go ahead and kill it. So she said, oh no, I have no baby. Why? Because it's a greater evil, uh, it's a lesser evil to lie about that in order to save the life and prevent a greater evil, which is to have a little baby murdered. Um, yes. I mean, uh, same Even with the hiding when- place. Same with the hiding place. She didn't... You know, Timboom didn't didn't lie. You know, she didn't say, oh, Nazis, you knocked on my door. I was hoping you wouldn't. No, I can't lie to you. Yes, we're harboring Jews. Uh, you'll see it in the little hiding place up the stairs to the left. No, she lied because it was to prevent a greater evil. And when I see even pastors not understanding this concept and choosing to be silent, maybe with their, their own uh, uh, pride or you know, their own elitism or you know, feeling like they're somehow above things, Uh, then they, they, number one, they forget the grace and mercy of God in the lives of others because they forgot it apparently in their own life. Mm -hmm. And then number two, uh, they're choosing not to be responsible. If their son or daughter's life was hanging in the balance, would they have that same attitude? I Mm -hmm. I don't think so. I think they'd say, oh, no, I'm going to vote for the lesser of two evils. Well, why do they have that attitude of saving the life of the potentially of their own son or daughter but these other little babies over here, yeah, go ahead and kill them. That's not Jesus. That's not the love of Jesus. Okay, I'm I'm, I'm ram- rambling here, but it just <laughs> um, it just really irks me when I see that happening. When I see Christians uh, voting for, for politicians, I don't care the Republican or Democrat that are overtly doing evil, as we mm-hmm. see in with the New Jersey's governor, Washington State's governor, Arizona's governor, New York's governor, California's yeah. governor. Oregon's governor, you, you know. Anyway, we can go on and on. So um, this is very concerning. You know, I, I guess it's uh, many states are working, you know, very hard to have abortion or what they call reproductive freedom uh, on the ballot this November. What what states are doing that? Let's go through them uh, carefully, one by one. Yep. Yeah.
2: Yep, yeah, well, um, I mean, it's interesting to see this, to see the states that are trying to have this on their ballots. Um, Maryland, which currently is very pro-abortion, has almost no restrictions in their laws right now. They want, a, they're going to have a proposed um, ballot measure on their um, ballot in November called the Right to Reproductive Freedom Amendment. And um, that's been approved by the legislature and it will definitely appear on the ballot. In
1: November. Wow. So Maryland it's definitely going to be on the ballot. Um, mm-hmm. This would cement an abortion quote right in the state's constitution and make it impossible for any pro-life laws um, to be passed. I mean, that's uh, I mean, I, I that would that would make Maryland uh, that much of a questionable place to live in and to support with your mm-hmm. tax dollars as far as I'm concerned. Um, and I guess that's expected. Uh, it's expected to pass because of the uh, political leanings of the state of Maryland. Is that right?
2: I think that's right. And I think that there is a just a general feeling that when this abortion is on the ballot, it's going to drive out voters. It's going to drive out a certain type of voters. And so that's why we're really seeing even in states where the, the right is there and the, the laws are all pro abortion laws. They're still going to keep pushing it because they want to just drive the voters and kind of have a fear, a fear factor and uh, sensationalism. Put that out there because that's going to get people to the polls.
1: Now, you know, Maryland is a heavy Catholic state, so I guess these are Catholics in name only, pretty much. I mean, they go to Mass maybe for mm-hmm. Christmas and, and uh, Easter and try to do their good works or something on the side. Um, because if they were true Catholics and they believed in the canons of the Catholic faith, there's no way they could vote for this. No way. Mm-hmm. Uh, so that's a, it's a terrible testimony of the Catholics there in Maryland. Um, as well as, for that matter, people who attend uh, alleged, you know, churches that are, you know, supporting issues and candidates that are pro-abortion, and unfortunately, they did, definitely do exist, and that's a, that's a real shame. What about New York? Uh, what's New York, what's going on in New York?
2: Yeah, New York, which is another very pro-abortion state, um, the lawmakers are also. Sus- Succeeded in um, having abortion on the ballot in uh, 2024, so it will definitely be there. That would also add the, a right um, to abortion in the state constitution in the form of an equal rights amendment.
1: Okay. Uh, Laura, Janice, Laura, thank you for the great work that you're doing. Uh, mm-hmm. I know we at Pacific Justice appreciate it. I know the legislators in many states across the country appreciate what you're doing through PJI to assist them in drafting Mm -hmm. positive legislation, as well as monitoring the bad stuff, which will uh, enable PJI attorneys to stand up against that when it comes to hearings on these very controversial legislative and state constitutional measures. Janice, keep up the good work.
2: Okay, thank you, Brad.
1: Thank you. Did you know that PJI is the only
0: legal defense nonprofit in America that serves state citizens by fighting state legislatures across the country to ensure unconstitutional or corrupt bills don't become unconstitutional or corrupt laws? That's right, for over 12 years, PJI's Center for Public Policy has generated success by standing firm in opposition to unconstitutional or immoral state bills which makes it easier for our allies in the legislatures to kill these kinds of wrong-headed and even depraved pieces of legislation. Keep current on PJI's work on all the legal challenges we face on a daily basis, including our work through our Center for Public Policy by signing up for our Legal Insider email newsletter at pji.org. Now, back to the Dacus Report.
1: Now I'd like to bring on the attorney who heads up our office in, uh, in Chicago, Illinois, uh, Soren uh, Leah uh, Soren. Thank you so much for joining us on this program. I so appreciate the work you're doing for PJI.
3: Uh, hi, Brad. Uh, glad to be here. Yeah.
1: So uh, Soren, uh, we we often talk a lot about COVID cases related issue, uh, but that's not all that that's not all that PJI handles by any means. We have lots of of cases uh, defending. Uh, you know, religious freedom and these kinds of issues. Uh, what's What have you been addressing recently in the state of Illinois?
3: Uh, th- that's right. Uh, although COVID issues tend to predominate um, a lot of our, our times these days, uh, PGI has a dedicated team fighting on uh, multiple fronts, including parental rights issues, uh, religious zoning issues, free speech issues, and, and much more.
1: Okay, so... Uh, we're engaging in a lot of these kinds of, of cases dealing with religious freedom, and in particular with the, the public school um, and the rights of students under the Equal Access Act. Uh, what's the Equal Access Act? What does this stand for, that this act that is so empowering for religious freedom in our public schools?
3: Yeah, so after COVID, in, in Illinois anyway, uh, that's the second most common issue that we face here uh, fighting for religious liberty in Illinois. Uh, The Equal Access Act is is a law passed by Congress in uh, 1984 uh, which protects the rights of religious student clubs in uh, public secondary schools. And in the last year alone, we've been able to assist several high school students um, and a handful of schools throughout the state to protect their rights under the law.
1: Okay. Um, uh, You know, I know this act wasn't... Just flippantly enacted, uh, it has a a clear purpose. What's the purpose of this act? What's the goal? The
3: the, the basic purpose of the act is to put religious clubs on equal footing with all other student clubs uh, by allowing them the same privileges and access to school facilities that other recognized student clubs enjoy. So
1: here, but I was just going to say, I know that, you know, at the time it passed, I'm actually old enough to remember this, (laughs) uh, there were some public schools out there that were just uh, being outright discriminatory against Christian clubs. Some of them saying, "Um, no, you're religious, You're, you're not allowed. I mean, overtly discriminating against Christian clubs. So this was enacted because it was a real need. It wasn't just a symbolic gesture of what was already happening in a positive way. This was dealing with real cases across the country of public schools headed by radical leftist teacher unions uh, who have an ax to grind against kids of faith uh, and particularly Christians of faith. Uh, what, is a quali- what is a qualified student club,
3: Soren? Sure. So a qualified student club is, is a club that is, uh, number one, student-initiated, and two, student-led. So faculty can be involved um, only to monitor, facilitate, or supervise um, and non-school persons, like, like a parent, for example, uh, cannot be regularly or di- directly involved in the meetings.
1: Okay. Uh, so does, does that mean that a, that a parent or a
3: faculty member can't attend? I mean, they can, they can be there, right? So if, if clubs do want more direct involvement from teachers and parents, they have the option to not become recognized by the school. And in that case, the club can still, is still able to meet on campus as an outside community group, uh, provided that such groups are allowed to use the school facilities. But a teacher is
1: often required to be a sponsor of the club. And as a sponsor of the club, uh, surely the teacher can be in the same room and just be there and observe. And I would contend that parents should be able to just be there and observe, not direct the meetings, not control the meetings. That's very different than them actually Controlling and and actively uh, monitoring and uh, interjecting, right? So that's right. Okay, good. So if a parent or a teacher wants to sit in the back and just observe, and I know a lot of parents, I know, if, you know, I, I can see a lot of parents wanting to uh, to to see what's happening, see, you know, what what their what club is their kid involved in, no matter what their club is. So they can still do that, but they just can't direct it. Um, what about? Um, what about uh, holding meetings on
3: campus? Can religious clubs actually do that? Uh, yeah, so the, the act states that meetings of recognized non-curriculum related clubs, like, like a religious club, may take place on campus during non-instructional time. And non-instructional time means time set aside by the school uh, before classroom instruction or after classroom instruction and uh, a lunch period, by the way, is also considered non-instructional time.
1: Yeah, I know my wife and I, we did a, a full revival rally, uh, and it was um, actually right after school in the school quad. And they had a Christian band, a youth evangelist preaching the gospel. Um, you know, it was, uh, Bibles were handed out. And uh, I know these are taking place now all across the country through a number of ministries, one of them that we helped start, uh, DecisionPoint USA, or excuse me, <laughs> DecisionPoint.org, DecisionPoint.org. Um, but they also have, DecisionPoint also has these, um, these rallies taking place during lunchtime, like in the school gym, when it's not being used, during lunchtime perhaps, and, uh, and being able to bring in outside speakers. But, but what about the use of audio or visual equipment do they have the same access to that? Can they use that, say, at a revival rally during lunchtime?
3: Well, so here, schools are not required to allow clubs to use school equipment, but if a school allows secular clubs to use school supplies and equipment, then religious clubs must be allowed as well. So in other words, uh, the school must be neutral in its approach to religious and secular clubs.
1: Okay, let's say that the religious club wants to sponsor a baccalaureate service. That's a like a service that's put on for graduating seniors. Now sometimes these are these were they used to be held by the school districts all the time and then they were pretty much pushed off campus and some some churches might have them but they've really fallen by the wayside. But a private club, Christian club, a Christian club and a, and a public school, they could sponsor one of these baccalaureate services say in the school gym um have pizza and and pepsi and at the same time they could also advertise for that event couldn't they just like any other club right
3: yes so under the act every recognized club must be allowed the same access to the facilities so this includes access to the public address systems the school newspaper the bulletin boards uh, and other avenues that the school allows students to use Uh, They can also distribute literature, Um, but students should be careful to follow the school rules about time and place for literature distribution, but so long as the rules apply across the board, uh, that's fine. Well, I know that there's some clubs that have contacted us before that
1: that tell us that when it comes to announcements that they have been excluded. Their activity, or if they say they're bringing in Charlie Kirk or uh, or myself or someone, you know, an uh, outside speaker, uh, they're told, oh, we're not going to mention that in the announcements over the PA system. Can, it, can a school do that? Can they discriminate against a, a Christian club's uh, speaker and information um, just because of the viewpoint, the content
3: uh, that they don't like? Can they do that? And the answer is no. So, this, so, viewpoint discrimination is certainly not allowed. And again, if, if they allow other clubs, other organizations to make announcements, then they must treat the religious groups on an equal basis. So, uh, the answer is no, they, they can't do that.
1: Can religious clubs get funding? Because I know a lot of public schools
3: give funding to the different student clubs. So it's not uncommon for schools to have some sort of a budget for the student body or student clubs. Uh, now, if there is such a budget, then the school can't discriminate against religious clubs by denying them equal access to funds simply because they're religious. So, mm-hmm. if, again, if other clubs are allowed access to funds, then religious ones must also.
1: Soren, thank you so much for being on the program and for all you do to make a difference for the kingdom and it really help empower so many kids to make a difference out of such a critical time in life thank you so much thank you Brett. thank you
0: we would love the opportunity to continue to serve you just visit pji.org and click the legal insider button to sign up for our email newsletter At PJI, we help individual employees, employers, business owners, pastors, students, citizens of every stripe through our practical resources, counsel, representation and defense, all free of charge at pji.org. PJI is an island of stability and assurance in our ever-churning sea of legal and societal chaos. We are here for you.
1: So, folks, just remember. It's our God-given freedoms we're talking about. Now, let's choose to keep them. I'm Brad Dacus, President of the Pacific Justice Institute. Let's continue the fight for your freedoms.